Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston, and I don't have any good news for you if you are a diesel consumer. I do have some better news. We've got a really interesting guest later on here on Drilling Deep. She's Laura Weston. She's the head of Effective Dispatching Plus, and it's her job to take somebody who might be interested in entering the truck trucking business as a dispatcher and tell them how to prepare. She's going to talk a lot about that role of the independent dispatcher. On diesel, there really isn't any sign at all of diesel markets weakening, except for the distinct possibility that when prices get this high, they inevitably take a breather and fall back eventually. A week ago, when I recorded the opening diesel talk for Drilling Deep, the price of ultra-low sulfur diesel for delivery in July on the CME Commodity Exchange was $3.96.50. Today, Thursday, a week later, when I'm recording this, it's up more than 24 cents a gallon from that. Diesel inventories in the U.S. East Coast fell again last week. They're down to 18.8 million barrels of ultra-low sulfur diesel. It was a shocker a couple of weeks ago when they fell under 20, and now they're under 19 as well. At the start of the year, they were over 38 million barrels. The strange thing is that the East Coast to Gulf Coast spread in the spot market has come down from 14 cents a week ago to 5 cents since we last talked. This is happening even as those East Coast inventories remain insanely tight. Maybe it's just that every place is getting squeezed so tight that it almost doesn't matter. The East Coast can't be getting squeezed if everybody is getting squeezed. Those tight inventories occurred even as refineries on the East Coast operated at an eye-popping 98.2% utilization rate. A rate that high usually can't be sustained. At a certain point, there's always some maintenance issues that pop up. Inventories of diesel are also dropping in the Midwest. Spot market prices in Chicago have been soaring this week relative to the Gulf Coast, showing that the tight market we saw in the East Coast is either spreading or moving. The government-designated area known as Pad 2, which includes Chicago, it's a lot bigger than the Windy City, but it's still an important number to look at. Stocks in Pad 2 are down to 24.4 million barrels. Stocks this year have been as high as 31 million barrels. So the drop is not as severe as what we've seen on the East Coast. But maybe the most discouraging thing is that refinery operating rates in the Midwest and the U.S. as a whole dropped last week. But they were coming from huge levels, so the reality is they're still cranking out plenty of product. But remember, the amount of refining capacity in the U.S. is down, so it's less than it was in 2019 when refinery operating rates then were a little lower than they are today. That is helping to boost refinery margins to unheard of levels. There's a basic simple measure of refinery profitability called the 321. You take the price of a crude like WTI or Brent, you multiply it by three. Of course, that's a price per barrel. You take the price of gasoline, multiply it by 42 to get the per barrel price of gasoline, to get the per, uh, per, ba- per ga- gallon price of gasoline up to a barrel equivalent, and then you double it so you have two barrels of gasoline. You do the same with one barrel of diesel, hence 321. Three barrels of crude, two barrels of gasoline, one barrel of diesel. That spread is now above $55 per barrel. I am not going to give you a lot of numbers. Just try to understand this. A $55 321 is simply insane. The fact is the world has lost a lot of refining capacity in the past few years. Some of it's because some refineries had looked at models that showed a lot of new refining capacity coming on elsewhere, and they thought that was really going to hurt margins. really hasn't happened. For a long time, refining was seen as a not particularly great business with an even worse future. 
but it's always been volatile, though never as much as now. There obviously is no economic reason for refinery processing to go up that, to have gone down last week, not at a $55 three two one. I caution that the numbers can be impacted by one or two maintenance issues that suddenly crop up somewhere. There's so much money to be made in refining now that every single facility is going to look to process as much as possible. The other thing in the weekly statistics is that there is little sign so far that demand is being severely impacted by these prices. There is a category in the weekly stats called product supplied, which is basically a proxy for demand. It's not where it was in 2019, but it's higher than it was last year for distillates. That distillate category includes things other than diesel, but it is mostly diesel. Demand destruction is not showing up just yet. What's the end conclusion? It's that refineries can process some more, but not a huge amount more. These prices are painful, but they aren't killing demand. And if refinery bottlenecks are a key problem for the market, more crude oil out of OPEC and the OPEC plus countries that were just announced, that those new barrels are not going to solve those other issues in the refining sector. All right, we're going to move on here on Drilling Deep. You know, I have a Twitter feed that has almost 2,000 followers. I'm so excited. Of course, there are people out there who have millions of followers. I guess I shouldn't be too excited about having 2,000. But anyway, but recently, you know, I look at the people who, who choose to follow me, particularly when they're in the trucking and logistics business. And uh, I recently got a follow from a woman named Laura Weston, and I clicked through to her profile, and she runs a firm. Uh, I guess it's a one-person firm, Effective Dispatching, that teaches people how to become dispatchers. And I just thought that was really fascinating. And I decided on the spot that I wanted to have her on Drilling Deep to talk about that. And uh, and here she is, Laura. Welcome to Drilling Deep. Thank you for having me. Okay, so why don't you talk about how you got into this business? Uh, you 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 have been a dispatcher, but you are not currently dispatching. Uh, your your role with dispatching right now is to train people how to be dispatchers and also to teach them what they might expect. So, talk about how that business came about. Oh, so, I have a friend who was wanting to get into the trucking industry, and I like being able to understand and know what I'm pushing or promoting. So, I said, okay, I will get in this business with you, but I first need to get some type of understanding. So after doing a little research, I learned that dispatching was the easiest, the lowest cost entry um, into the, the trucking industry. So I did research on people who offered dispatch training, and I found that people were paying or sorry, charging anyway from two to two hundred to two thousand dollars for basically similar things because dispatching isn't. A, a service that changes over time. It's basically the same service you're providing. So I found that dispatching material was rather costly. And um, I just wanted to provide a way for people to learn how to dispatch at a more reasonable price. So I began, you know, I paid for a few dispatching courses just to make sure that my understanding was sound. So based on the things that I learned and just the research that I performed because I'm a researcher, I have a master's degree in accounting, so I'm used to reading. So I you know, did my research, validated the facts that I was able to find and, and the information I was able to receive. And I just developed a introductory course to dispatching that really gives people just who have no idea what dispatching is, people who really want to get into the trucking industry but have no clue what it is. It's very elementary, very basic, just giving you the, the pure facts that you need to get started and further your career. So that's how I kind of got into it. So the people who are coming to you, are you finding that they're not in trucking at all? They might have had 
They might have some interest for whatever reason. And, you know, obviously, if they want to be a driver, they got to go get a CDL. A broker needs to be licensed as well. So as you pointed out, this is a fairly low barrier to entry position. Dispatch, they're just coming to you because they want to be in trucking? Correct. They're, they come for different reasons. So you have owner operators that may want to come so they can just understand the dispatching, the world of dispatching, just because they've gotten a truck and they, they may they may want to hire a dispatcher, but they say, OK, well, can you just show me what it is or what, they're, what the dispatcher may do? And then you've got people who are changing careers or just looking to work from home and, you know, have no idea. Maybe they saw a commercial or, or had a friend talk about it and say, because I, I've had someone call me and say, you know, I want to do this stuff for you, you know, do the stuff with the trucks. And yeah, and I'm like, you mean dispatch? I mean, she's, yeah, 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 that's it. So you've got people <laughs> who may have just heard of it and want to get started. So I try to, you know, be that first introductory piece to say, okay, you know, there's a lot of, you're going to have a lot of choices for as far as training and things like that. But yes, people come to me at different levels, just wanting to understand the basics of dispatching. Now, are you finding that the people who go into des- dispatching, is it, do they go into it full time or is it come almost like being an Uber driver that you do it part time and maybe you've got a day job or maybe you only want to do a part time job? Uh, are the independent dispatchers, do they tend to be full time or do they tend to be part time? OK, depends on how independent you want to be. So the, the schedules can vary because you've got people who have several trucks. It depends on the type of trucks you have. If you've got trucks that are going further over the road, like the bigger trucks, if you've got smaller vehicles that don't want to go that far. So it depends on the number of trucks you have. It depends on where they're going and what they're doing. So some people are able to work a job and dispatch in between, but it's very demanding as a dispatcher because you want to continue to find your drivers the next load and you want to keep moving. So you're constantly researching lanes and rates and information just to make sure that you're negotiating the best rates for your drivers. So to, to me, when I dispatched, I was all in. I was like, full day, I would just dispatch because I just wanted to make sure I kept all the people going. Like I had five or six carriers under me and each person needed to go somewhere the next time, you know, the next day or, or things like that. So I found that I dispatched full time during the day from some seven, starting at six or seven in the morning to, you know, four or five in the afternoon, just because you want to make sure that you're available to be of service to the, the carriers that you have. So I, um, when I first started dispatching, I was told that, yeah, you can have a full-time job and dispatch at the same time. But I found that not to be so easy because my job, my full-time job was very demanding and required me to pay attention to details as an auditor. So I'm looking at information. So if you've got, to, it also depends on the nature of your job. If you're a caregiver or somebody, you're, you're sitting just watching somebody, you can, you can successfully dispatch because you're not uh, using that much of your um not skills, but you're not paying that much attention to, I don't know if I said that right again either, but you, you understand what I'm saying. So, yeah, it, I mean, so, so, so like if you said you dispatch from seven to four, seven to five, it sounds to me like that didn't necessarily mean that you were just dispatching 100% of the time. You were sort of connected to your dispatching role, but you also had time to do your full-time job as an auditor. Not so much. So I'm saying, no, it was it did not work with ease for me because I had to pay attention to the details of my full time job. So I was not able to do the research and provide the, the put this time in equally as far as dispatching. So that's what I'm saying. Like if you have a job where you're not required to pay attention as much, you can dispatch because you can focus on the dispatch and maybe, you know, let whatever else is going on on the side. So it depends on the nature of your work if you can do both at the same time. 
right, so let, let's go back to what we originally started talking about, which is your curriculum and, and what you offer. So let's say I came to you and I said I want to be a dispatcher. Uh, give me some guidelines about how long it's going to take me to get through your work and get myself informed well enough to, to get started as a dispatcher. I'm glad you asked that. So what I did was I produced a 20-page ebook. Um, it's 20 pages, step-by-step. It's 10 steps. It's an 18- to 20-page book. And it just gives you the very basic information on what you need to start as a dispatcher. I also offer a one-hour, $50 Zoom lesson where we look at load boards, we look at paperwork or documents that you would require to, to book the load. We just kind of go over the whole process in an hour. So it's a very nutshell type thing, but it gives you a very bird's eye view of the process. So you have a, a great understanding of, you know, the process after. You might have questions to fill in or, you know, more specific um, areas you want to cover, like load planning. You know, that takes a while to learn how to um, plan for multiple uh, pickups and stops and drops and things like that. So, you know, your skill gets better as you do it. But I just teach people, okay, this is the basic. This is what you need to know. There's, there's not any more than this that you're going to encounter out there. So don't be fooled. So just trying to help people, you know, save money while trying to grow their business or develop a business. So most of the people who are coming to you, are you finding that they're, uh, that, that they want to go in full-time or they just want to kind of dip their toe in the water and they want to see how they grow from there? Um, it's various. Like I said, some people want to start their full-time dispatch business and they say, okay, you know, how do I get started? So I, I give them information. And for people who want to start it full-time, I also point them into the direction of people who offer more detailed training that I've kind of gone through and say, okay, well, this is basically here. I can point you, these people will really give you some more detailed training and really help you get going. You can join this mentorship group. So I do point people on to further educating themselves after they leave me. Um, but for the owner operators or the people who will just want to know how to do it just for the sake of knowing, it's more of just, oh, okay, thanks for showing me that. Now I understand. Right. Are you, are you, do you find that most of these independent dispatchers are truly independent. They work by themselves or is there value to teaming up with two or three others? Obviously you don't all have to be in the same office. Like you might've done years ago. You could have, you know, you have somebody in Idaho, somebody in Alabama and somebody in Maine. So, it's <laughs> so do you find it that, that, that tends to work like that increasingly? So it's the desires of your business structure. So you can have um, like myself, I wanted to have dispatchers that ran under me, but you know, but, and they can work anywhere. They can be in Chicago. They can be wherever. It's just, it's just it's a job where you can work from home. So, um, yeah, you can be anywhere. And it's usually one person that works independent with themselves. So when you, I, most dispatchers don't team up to work together. Most people are independent and they have their set of carriers that they take care of. I know when you were dispatching, how did you, how did you get together with various carriers? How did they know about Laura Weston? Did you have to, I'm sure in the beginning you had to reach out to them. And, and when you did, what were the channels you, you did? You sure, used? Sure, sure. sure. Thank you for asking. So I used um, Facebook, Facebook, more um, Facebook, Facebook groups. In Facebook, there are several transportation groups that you can get into where people post that they're looking for dispatchers and people post their services. I also factored with a factored. I also partnered with a factoring company, and they sent me a list of e um, um, people that had just come on as carriers. And I'm a big emailer. I love mailing and emailing. So I would email away, hey, I'm a new dispatcher, and I will offer special services like we'll We'll do the first two weeks for free just to kind of do a trial basis. My first carrier, I said, 
let's just do 1%. I say, you know, let's just do 1%. I, I'm new. I, like, I really appreciate you allowing me to be of service to you. And he said, no, no, there's no way we'll do that. Let's, let's start off at 10%. So my first carrier did 10% when I just was trying to simply get customers to, to, to make sure I understood, not as guinea pigs, but, you know, but just so they felt comfortable with the services that they were receiving as a new dispatcher. All right, so what are the prevailing rates for dispatchers? That's quite a gap you just laid out, 1% to 10%. There's a lot of wiggle room in there. Today, where, where's that rate going? More between 5 to 7 Um, For your larger vehicles, the, the, the bigger trucks usually do 4 to 5%. Some do 3 because it's easier to find loads for your bigger, your reefers, your dry vans. It's, it's, it doesn't take much time to find loads for them. Now, what takes more time is your box trucks and your hot shots because they've got restrictions. They've got, you know, a, a smaller weight that they can carry. So those take more time. So you charge up to 10, 12 percent for a box truck or a hot shot because it's going to take you that much more time to research and find loads for them. So the, the, let's talk about the dispatcher's duties. I will concede that I was not aware that the, ditch, the dispatcher actually finds the loads on the load board. I thought that the drivers did that, and then they kind of brought them to the dispatchers. But you're saying that the dispatcher spends a lot of the time, a lot of the does, takes care of a lot of the need to actually secure the loads. Correct. Correct. They, okay. they get access to the load boards. They research. They call the brokers. They look at the dimensions and make sure that their carrier can carry that stuff. You know, that's ideally what the dispatcher is supposed to do, cut out that piece. So you're just strictly driving you, you know, they're just calling you and say, hey, I found you this load here. You know, are you would, would you willing to take this and, and things like that? So it's ideal for them to stay off the computer and just answering their phone when you call them with something. Yeah, and I would guess that it's incumbent upon them to be somewhat agreeable to whatever loads you find. Because, I mean, if you had a thousand dollar load, even if you were getting ten percent, that's a hundred bucks. You don't want to spend too much time securing that load. It's just not worth it after a while. Like, you know, the, your, your your time has value, so it's probably incumbent upon the driver to be. Uh, agreeable. <laughs> and then if they're not agreeable, if they're constantly fighting you, you just stop using them, right? That's correct. So therefore, we create a carrier profile sheet. When you begin the services, you create a carrier profile sheet and you spell out the minimum loads you'll take, where you want to go, the commodities you're willing to take. So all that stuff is in front of the dispatcher. So when she sees something, she's not calling the driver with something that she knows they won't take. You know, it's our nose is something that's undesirable. I see. Uh, the the average person who's let's say again let's doing it full time. We'll we'll we we'll, we'll use the full time person as the example. How many carriers might they be interacting with? Let's say in a week or a month. How how big is their list of of clients? So it depends on the person's skill. Um, me and how I saw it was you know seven to ten trucks is the most I believe that one could take on. I've seen people that one person have 20 trucks and things like that. So it just depends on how far they're going, where they're going and their ability or their tolerance to wait on you because essentially you're servicing all of them on your own and you're making all those calls. So if they have the patience to wait and, and as drivers, they probably ask you or they should ask how many other carriers do you have? Because I wouldn't want to take on a dispatcher that's got 15 other people because it's just like, uh, I'm not sure if you'll be able to take care of me as I need. So you just want to make sure you have a, 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 the number that accommodates, you know, you and you're able to service them and, and feel comfortable with telling your drivers, okay, I've got this many other people. 
Right. So in the same way that, that it's been great for drivers the past couple of years, the, the, the rates have been really high. Drivers are talking about making more money than, than they've ever made. Since the dispatchers are working as a percentage, I'm going to assume that they've had a couple of really good years. Well, since the gas has been a little bit higher, I think that that may be cutting into some profits. But dispatchers generally make a decent amount if they they can find their drivers decent loads. Do you want to put a number on it? Let's say a, a hardworking full-time dispatcher. How much might they take home in a, in a year? In a year. Let's see. If you make about five, if you get your driver 5000 a week, let's do some math here. Let's see if we can... We can at least five thousand a week average low. I mean that's that's a little high, but if it's five thousand a week, would you get five hundred of that? Yes, that would be. So that's five hundred times fifty-two. <laughs> that go. sounds kind of low, almost. But that's just one truck. Okay. Oh, one truck. All right, I keep forgetting. Mm-hmm. Right, there multiple, mm-hmm. multiple trucks. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With ten trucks, mm-hmm. okay, you're talking about a, a good amount of money. Got it. Okay, so, so have you seen in the same way? Look, the, the FMCSA handed out a hundred thousand plus new authorities last year. Uh, are you seeing a lot of people trying to get into the dispatching business because times are good? I see people trying to because they want to do something different um, with their careers and they want to work for themselves. So um, I just see a flow of people coming in that have either um, retired or just want to do something different. So there's a mix of people that I encounter and the reasons that they want to start the business. Um, What kind of capital do you need to get started? I mean, this seems like a very low barrier to entry business, but you need something. I'm sure most people already have computers, so you just need low board access and then marketing material. And then marketing material, if you're not going to, uh, if you're trying to be on the lower side, word of mouth, you can go up to these truck stops and just talk to the truck drivers and you're not having to pass out anything they see. You know, you can just give them your phone number. I mean, that would be, and that's the, the best way to get drivers anyway is just by going to them. Uh, because these bigger trucks, some of these guys dispatch for themselves. So you as a dispatcher have to get to them and say, hey, I can help save you this by, you know, researching and load planning for you. You catch them at a truck stop. So two or three hundred dollars, you get you some training. Um, it's just, it's very low cost. It's very low cost. What kind of person do you find is successful in this business? What are their personality traits that make a good dispatcher? I would imagine having an amazing amount of patience would be part of it. Patience. <laughs> you're dealing with quite a, a group of quite a diverse group of people. And you've got to be organized and be able to professionally communicate. So if you've got some organization about you and you're able to um, to speak well and talk to people and just uh, work with integrity, you should be fine. But organization will be the number one thing that you need to have because if you've got multiple carriers, you've got different, several different pieces of paperwork you're managing and touching for each person. You've got to have attention to details. So you just want to make sure that you can pay attention and not mess up because of any mess up in number would you know cause some delays in a driver getting a load or getting paid or things like that. So you just want to make sure that you are organized and have attention to detail. Yeah, I would imagine, as I mentioned, over 100,000 new authorities last year, that would tend to call for the idea, tend to support the idea that you needed a lot of new dispatchers coming in as well. If you didn't, that would shift some leverage back over to the dispatchers. In the, in the I won't say battle, but in the kind of economic balance between dispatcher and driver, who's kind of holds the cards right now? Drivers, of course, because they could do it themselves if they needed to. 
So drivers are going to have the upper hand always because the dispatcher is just a plus if you can afford it. And, um, you know, if you see the benefit in it. So yeah, the driver... I mean, I, I, let me let, take a guess out of the out of the independent owner operators out there on the road. How many do you think are using the dispatcher, an independent dispatcher? You know, I, I don't know their percentage. I will maybe say 40 because of the few friends that I have, they dispatch for themselves. So of the owner operators, if you've got one to three, they're probably dispatching for themselves. Now, when you grow your fleet, you've got more trucks, then that's when you tend to get a, a dispatcher to help you manage it. But for most of the smaller owner operators that just have one to three vehicles, they're their wives are dispatching for them. They're, you know, they've got a family member that's just helping them out with the dispatch. Right. And then if they get real big, they hire and, then, you know, they create a job within their company as mm-hmm. dispatcher. They no longer need it working for an outsider. Right. Right. Okay. Hey, yeah. we want to thank Laura West and Laura. This is terrific. I learned a lot here in 18 to 19 minutes <laughs> about dispatching. This is really, really good. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Laura is well, I said I, I can say you're president, but effectively you are effective dispatching, correct? That is correct. And if pe- people want to find you, how do they do so? You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, TikTok, e- Effective Dispatching Plus. So I also have a parent company, which is the Truckers Auditor, which I pivoted to because I was not able to dispatch. So I actually have two businesses that that I'm running. The dispatch and then the compliance, where I set up the um, trucking authorities, and and I do that side of the business. So, Effective Dispatching Plus is where you can find me. You can uh, click the link in the bio on the Instagram and find the dispatching ebook for only nine ninety nine. And on the website, you can uh, book the one hour Zoom for fifty dollars. So, I just try to help people get started at a, at a cost as reasonable. Well, I can tell you that uh, your Twitter feed. For both effective dispatching and the trucking auditor is very good because you continually retweet me. That just shows you that you really got it down <laughs> past. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. Well, thank you for publishing the information that you you put out. So I appreciate the solid facts that I can share with with the community. Well, glad you like it. So we've been talking to Laura Weston today here on Drilling Deep. You have been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Chaos Freight Cash family of podcasts. From Freightways, you can find us on all the major podcast platforms. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. Mm-hmm.